We're, we're going through um, the minor prophets, which are the smaller prof- prophetic books in the Old Testament, towards the latter part of the Old Testament. And this week we come to Micah. Uh, as we think about Micah, uh, I kind of want to open with a statement that what you love will either free you or destroy you. It's a powerful statement, isn't it? What you love will either free you or destroy you. This last week, our news outlets were filled with the college entrance exam scandal with celebrities, right? Paying thousands, even hundreds of thousands of dollars to get their children into elite colleges and universities. They committed fraud, uh, bribery, and other crimes. Using money, they exploited systems that were meant to promote equality for students entering colleges. And in turn, They disadvantaged uh, other students by advantaging their kids using money and their celebrity power. Um, One way that they were were able to to cheat the system was that they had their kids uh, labeled disabled so they could have latitude on the SAT and ACT exams, which, you know, this, this thing that was for, that was supposed to help disabled kids, disabled students, was used, they took advantage of that. They wrote off um, thousands of dollars they paid these people to fix these fixers and wrote them off as charitable donations on their taxes. These motives, the motives behind these celebrities doing this is not exactly clear yet, yet it seems rather obvious to us, right? They want their children to be successful, to have the prestige, to have the uh, money that they, that they have. Um, having attended, have the prestige of attending schools like Yale and Georgetown and USC. Still, that known, the irony of this whole scandal is baffling to, you know, the public audience. And that's why I think it's so intriguing. For example, one of these families that's been most profiled is a movie star, right, and a fashion designer paying thousands of, uh, thousands of dollars to advantage their child. But why? Right? Why? To get more success? To get more prestige? Right? We're left asking the question, like, how much is enough? What you love will either, will either free you or destroy you. The lesson, this lesson is a similar one that God's people um, in the day of Micah were facing. This is on page 776 in the, in the Black Bibles if you want to look it up. We read in Micah 1.1, the word of the Lord came to Micah of Morsheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. These are kings, kings of Judah, which he saw, so this is a, 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 word, a, a message he saw concerning, a vision he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Micah was a prophet between 750 and 686 B.C. to the leaders of Samaria and Jerusalem. So Middle East, right? And as you will remember, uh, following... So maybe if you know a little bit about the Bible history, King Sol, uh, so David had a son, King Solomon. King David had a son, King Solomon. And then he had... King Solomon's children did not follow God as, as Solomon just departed from the Lord. And they were split. And the kingdom of Israel was split into two kingdoms, a northern and southern kingdom. The north, uh, Israel, it was called Israel at that point even though Israel can refer to all of God's people, okay? And it often does. 
Israel to the north, Judah to the south. The capital of Israel was Samaria, and the capital of of the southern kingdom of Judah was Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where the temple was, where people worshipped. We're supposed to worship, but they set up worship places for God in Samaria, even though they weren't supposed to. Micah was a country kid from a little town of Morsheth, and he comes and he says, I have a message from God to you capitals, you leaders in these places. And it's a message of judgment coming on Israel and Judah. It's very important for us to understand. Okay, so in order for us to stand this book, before we get into it, we need to understand the idea of the covenant. All right, And so the covenant, even though it's not mentioned in Micah, it's all throughout, and I'll show you different places it's mentioned. Um, but God had made a covenant, which means he made a promise, a loving promise and commitment to, the, to Abraham, who would be the father of the Jewish people, to Israel. Okay, And, he, and then he said his covenant was, I'm going to love you, I'm going to bless you, and you're going to be my people, and, and, and I will be your God. So it's spelled out even after God rescued them out of the, the Jewish people out of Egypt, then he gives, he f- gives a formal, uh, long 600-law covenant to the people at Mount Sinai. And that's what we see in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy spelled out. Over 600 laws. But um, similar, when we think about covenant, we, it's a contract. Like whenever we buy a house, we have a contract to pay back the loan. If we violate the contract, there's consequences Okay, but it's more than just a contract. Covenant, as we even use that idea as covenant members, covenant is the idea in the Bible of love. Like marriage. Marriage is supposed to be a resemblance of covenant because God loved his people. So he committed to do these things for them. He loved them and he showed over and over and over his love for them to bless them. And so it, and God asked that they would love him in return because of how he's loved them, that they would commit to him in return, that they would obey, trust him and obey the, the laws, the, the, these guides for the covenant, because it was a good, these are good laws for them, in God's good design. So, the most important of these was to love the Lord and to love others. So if you go to the first slide here, this gives you, I don't know how, if you guys in the back can see it, but we see God's covenant, think marriage and his people, love God, then what their heart would want is to trust and seek God, and their lifestyle would be peace, freedom, and blessing. This is a summary. And then, if they would love God, they would also love their neighbor. Their heart would be to love their neighbor. Their heart would want, would be, what their heart would want would be an other's focus instead of a self-focus, right? And then what would result in their lifestyle would be justice and righteousness and loving acts. This is how God's covenant was supposed to work and how he gave them a land to live this out. The problem was they failed to obey that. They failed to live that. Mo- and they would, um, and similar, similarly, Micah summarizes his covenant in Micah 6.8. The covenant he's summarizing, what does the Lord require of us but to do justice, to love mercy or love kindness and to walk humbly with our God. Micah is reiterating the covenant in reverse. Walk humbly, love God, love kindness, Love others, love, have love as your heart disposition, and to do justice, which is to seek the good for others. The problem is, as I said, is that God's people did not live this way. They loved the Canaanite idols and the other idols and other worship practices of the surrounding nations, and they integrated them into the worship of God. 
that God, after all that God had done, they disregarded this and they wanted to live a different way. They wanted to follow after different gods. They wanted that freedom. Looking at God's people at this point in history, we're reminded of the celebrity scandal. And we ask the same question, how much is enough? Why, why would you do this? God gave you a land. He, you were nobody. He gave you a people. He gave you all these blessings. He said, if you just follow me, I'll give all these things to you. We'll, you'll be in a loving relationship. Your families will be blessed. All these things. But it wasn't enough for them. My, my, wife, is a, my wife is a huge fan of John Christ. He's a Christian comedian. And he, he has a saying, check your heart, right? And, and I think that this, this saying has a, is a good summary of Micah's message to us, to check your heart. This is the question, the question we should ask ourselves as we're reading this is, am I fully devoted to the Lord? To check our own hearts, am I fully devoted to the Lord? This catchphrase and this idea summarizes Micah's main message, which is to be warned because idols of your heart and injustice will be judged by God. Be warned, because idols of our hearts and injustice will be judged. Now let's begin reading in Micah 1. I already read 1.1, 1, 1, so 1.2. Hear you peoples, all of you. Pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it. And let the Lord be a witness against you. The Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place. Stepping out of the holy temple. Stepping out of heaven. And he will come down and he will tread upon the high places of the earth. And the mountains will melt under him. The valleys will split open like wax before the fire. Like water pours down from a steep place. Here we see a picture of God that is absolutely awesome and absolutely terrifying. It's meant to shock us. Micah later in verses 8 and 9, he said, to get the people's attention, he says, Lament and wail, cry out to God, I will go stripped and naked. Now we try to preach the text here, but I decided not to do that one. Okay, uh, so I won't be doing that one today. But that's what, I don't know if Micah literally did that or what, but he was definitely trying to get their attention, okay? Wake up, people, is what he's saying to them. He, in verses 2 through 4, it's God is pictured as a giant stepping down of his throne in heaven and stepping on the mountains. And not just stepping on them, but stomping on them. We see God's, this is a picture, not that God literally is a giant. But that is meant to picture for us his absolute greatness. And he is stomping on the mountains. So part of the reason for that is the mountains were the places called the high places. Which is where they would go and worship the Canaanite idols and gods. And he's showing symbolically he is judging them for this. This is figurative language. We see here also the mountains, the, before this awesomeness of God, we see the mountains melting like wax. <laughs> the valleys being ripped open. Guys, this is scary. But this is, what this is meant to tell us is, be warned, when we rebel against God, our God is awesome in his judgment. Micah's name literally means, who is like our God? Who is like our God? No one is like our God. It's meant to be contrasted to the idols. It's, this is not a God that sits up on our shelf. Okay? This isn't a God like Superman. This isn't Thor. We're talking about an awesome, holy, glorious God. And he is angry. Why is God so angry? Verses 5. Look at verse 5. 
All this for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of Israel. Over and over you see in, in uh, Micah and the, Old Te- and the Psalms and the Prophets, uh, Hebrew poetry. They say the same thing twice uh, in their synonyms. So he's saying the transgression and sins are the same thing. Jacob and Israel, the same thing. You'll see this over and over. They'll say the same thing in different ways. Synonymous parallels. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? What is the high place of Judah? Parallel. What is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? The high place, the idol worship, the sin. Okay. Therefore, I will make Samaria, verse 6, a heap in the open country. Meaning, I will wipe it away. A place of planting vineyards, not a city. Okay, And I will pour down her stones into the valley. The stones were probably places of worship to idols, to Baal. And uncover her foundations. All her carved images will be beaten to pieces. And, all, and her wages shall be burned with fire. The wages given to these idols. And these carved images are idols. And her idols I will lay waste. All of this for the transgression of Jacob and the sin of Israel. What is their sin? The high places, the worship in Jer- their worship places in Jerusalem. Their worship was corrupt in Samaria. Their place, their worship in the high places, their worship was corrupt. Their I- they were worshiping idols. Verse seven makes that crystal clear. All of Israel's carved images, all her idols, I will just lay waste. I will destroy. God is angry because God hates idols. Most notable of this was the worship of the, God, of the Canaanite religion, Baal. Over and over we see Baal being worshipped. And this is the time of Ahab read, that we can read about and his children in, um, in the first and second kings who worshipped Baal while also saying they worshipped God. Likely, they saw that Baal would give them greater freedom in their sexual practices or in their, or their way that they earned a living. All of this broke God's covenant. This is why I said it's important to remember the covenant. All this was breaking the covenant, the commitment that they had to the Lord. They were, more freedom was what they wanted, and they were cheating on God. At, at the slide two here, you can see, oh, yeah, go to the next slide, maybe. Uh, one more. Okay, so, actually you can't see that very well. <laughs> Because it's in red. Sorry. God's covenant is broken is what it says. Instead of loving God, they were loving idols. That's what their heart was doing. Then they were, the result was what their heart would want was to trust idols. And then their lifestyle would be bondage to sin. They were going to worship, likely they were going to worship services on Saturday, Sabbath, which would be our Sunday, right? They were going to the Jewish temple. And then while all throughout the week they were worshiping Baal and worshiping um, other gods. And God is infuriated. In, later in Micah, Micah 3.4, God says, I will not answer you when you pray to me. I, he doesn't want to hear it whenever we are worshiping other idols. Now the tendency is for us to look, on these, look down on these ancient people and say, oh, how terrible that was. Similarly, similarly how we might look down at the celebrities, right? And say, oh, that's awful. That they would do that. We are shocked that Israel would leave God after all God's done for them. We're shocked that they would want to worship other gods. But we must understand a concept in the Bible about idols that's quite disturbing to us. 
And that is that an idol is not simply an image on the mantle. An idol is whatever a person looks to for their security, their wealth, their happiness, their fulfillment, or their family. Whatever they look to is most ultimate in their life. It is giving your heart to something in order to feel fulfilled, to feel secure, to feel happy. Someone has said, a person's God is anything they cling to and rely upon for their ultimate security and contentment or happiness. A person's God is anything they cling to or rely upon for their ultimate security or happiness. One pastor has said, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart, your imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give you. It's that heart attitude that if I can, it's the heart attitude that if I can only get this one thing, if I can only reach this place, if I can only have this job, if I can only have this relationship, I will be happy. I will be fulfilled. I will be secure financially. If you've ever seen the Lord of the Rings, the ring is a perfect example of what an idol does to our hearts. The ring is, has incredible power, but anytime a human gets it, except for Frodo, even with Frodo, he battles this over and over. When, he gets, when you get the ring, it takes a good thing that that person wants. Whatever that person wants most in their life, what they dream about, takes it, and, it, and they, all they get absorbed with, with just getting that one and it hurts the people around them. It puts other people in danger. But here is the key truth. Going back in the slide. Sorry. Check your heart because idols will corrupt your heart. Check your heart because idols will corrupt your heart. Now rarely have idol, do we have idol statues in America. But we will sacrifice our family. We will sacrifice friends. We will move across the country if we need to, or do whatever it takes to get that dream job, to, get that, to have that dream financial place, to, do, to live out what we want most in our lives, right? We'll do whatever it takes. We may not have statues of idols, but we will dream all day. We'll push through college. We may maybe cheat a little bit on some certain things or on our taxes a little bit to have a little more cushion financially. We'll do whatever it takes um, to get that phone or get that vacation or be at that place. We'll sacrifice everything in order to gain that one thing that's supposed to make us happy. The result is that when we love idols, our hearts are corrupted. Our, what our heart wants is begins to seek that idol, say it's money, and then we are in bondage to that idol. We have to get it. We have to have it. Micah's message and, and, and so that becomes the bondage, right? We think we're free, but we're really in bondage because we have to have that. And we're doing everything to get that one thing. That's the bondage of idols. Now, maybe you're sitting here and you're, saying, and you're thinking, um, what's my idol? So, I don't know what my idol is. Well, I was reading something, my wife and I were reading this devotion a couple weeks ago, and I was stressed and and overwhelmed and all these different things. And, and uh, we read this devotion. It says, whatever your greatest fear is, trace that back. And that's your idol. That was convicting for me in that moment. We can look at what scares us most. Or what we dream about most. And there we'll find 
our idol or what tempts us to be our idols. As a, it, it, well, the message we see here is that we need to identify our idols. So I just challenge you to write down what, what are your idols. Write it down and then seek to, because if you don't recognize that, you won't be able to fight against that idol in your life. As a teenager, in order for me to follow the Lord, I had to realize my idol was what people thought. One of the idols I had in my life, one of the biggest idols, was what people thought about me. That feeling of acceptance, whether it was grades or sports or, or popularity or whatever. And I had to see that Christ needed to be that in me. That my confidence had to be in Christ in that way. Um, friends, your idols, uh, identify your idols, confess them to the Lord and to other, other Christians. Seek to get rid of them because they will corrupt your heart. Next we see something in the book of Micah, and it makes God even angrier than idols, and injust- it is injustice. Look at Micah, so Micah 3, verses 9 through 11. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel, parallelism again, okay, he's referring to the leaders, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood, so you're building by violence, and Jerusalem with iniquity, with sin. Its, its heads, it's the rulers, the leaders, give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. And yet they lean on the Lord, and they still go to the temple. They still go to God, and they say, is not the Lord in the midst of us? Is God not with us? He's with his people, right? No disaster shall come upon us. No, disaster's coming. Because they detest justice. They twist it. They do violence. Their leaders take bribes. Their priests teach for money and for profit. Then, to flip back, Micah 2, 1-3. through 3, Woe to you, who, woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is the, in the power of their hand. They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them away. They oppress a man in his house, a man in his inheritance. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, against this family I am devising disaster. Again, disaster or judgment is coming against these people. And for what? They covet fields and houses and they seize them. They oppress a man in his family. We see the Lord hates injustice. This time, Israel, in, in, in this time, Israel and Judah had just come off of a time of King Solomon, okay, of great prosperity in Israel. These people were very wealthy at this time. They were coming out of that, and they were coming to a time of uncertainty and fr- fragility in the kingdom. There was wars going on uh, between Israel and other nations, and the nations surrounding Israel in the north. And verse 2, and so these people that had this material comfort, they started to see that material comfort slip from their, grisp, uh, from their grasp. And they were looking for how they could keep their finances. They could keep their material possessions. What did they do? Verse 2-1. They stayed up late at night thinking about how they could get money. How they could trick people. They could oppress the poor, uh, the poor man, in order to take his house. And take his land. Verses 8 and 10. Similarly. But lately, my people have risen up as an enemy. He's saying, you are now 
my people are an enemy against your own people. You strip the rich robe from those who pass by trustingly with no thought for war. There's a footnote there that can also be understood as those who are coming from war, which is probably what I think it is, is refugees, okay? The women of my people you drive out from their delightful houses. From their young, from their young children you take away my splendor forever. Arise and go, for there's no place to rest because of uncleanness that destroys with a grievous destruction. He's talking about there at the end that you're, you, you are doing, your hearts are filled with uncleanliness and it's destroying your people. It's destroying you. We read that Israel and Judah are acting like enemies to the poor. Women here, particularly, and poor women and poor refugees is most likely what we're talking about here. They strip the rich robe off those who pass by. Um, coming from war is what I think it's talking about. What it's not saying, when it's saying these aren't rich people, what the rich robe is a reference to is that when people that have left are fleeing, they have nothing but the clothes on their back, right? And, and, that, and in this time, they might have this long cloak that would provide the, the warmth in their covering because they have no home, okay? So, and it was valuable. They could sell that if they need to, but then they would be cold and left out to the elements. Well, these people were defi- devising ways in order to say, hey, I'll let you stay here, or hey, I'll let you pass to my land if you'll sell me your cloak. So they, they were making money off of them in that way. They would drive women from the power, uh, they would drive women without power from the houses. This is probably a reference to poor widows, because they didn't have any, man, uh, they didn't have someone to work the fields, so they would, uh, or elderly widows, so that, that couldn't work. So they would find ways to say, hey, if you give me a loan, or I'll give you a loan to help you pay this off, and they would charge exorbitant interest in order to repossess the house from them. In so doing, the children of these people would not know the splendor of the glory of God. This is saying your generations won't know the splendor of God. You're going to know the judgment of God. And it's an indictment against these people. These injustices had corrupted their hearts, bringing destruction and bringing judgment from God. Throughout the book of Micah, the Lord rails against Israel and Judah's unjust and unrighteous deeds. For example, they were seizing land from the weak. They were robbing the refugees. They were taking advantage of poor widows. In in chapter 3, 1 through 2 and 9, politicians were failing to stand up for justice. In chapter 3, verse 10, the people... They were taking people's lives in order to complete building projects. In, in chapter 3, uh, 11, the judges were taking bribes. The religious leaders were serving greedily. They were cheating clients with improper business scales. So they were, they were um, shifting the scales in chapter 6, 10 through 12. They were shedding innocent blood, chapter 7, verses 2 through 4. And they were fighting. There was fighting within families, chapter, six verse, chapter 7, verse 6. In commenting on the book of Micah, Old Testament scholars Trimper Longman and Tom McComsky wrote, while Micah attacked the idolatry that accompanied the acceptance of Canaanite worship, idols, it was not this aspect of Israel's condition that he emphasized the most. It was rather social injustices of the ruling classes to which Micah gave the greatest attention. God was furious with Israel and Judah for their injustice because God hates injustice. Now we may answer the question. Now we may we must answer the question as we're talking about injustice. What is justice from the biblical justice? Justice and righteousness in, in the Old Testament would often go together, hand in hand. Even in the Psalm we read earlier, it talks about justice and righteousness together. 
So we understand justice, we understand it together with righteousness. In the New Testament, it's the same word translated different ways depending on the context. So justice and righteousness go together. Thus, justice simply defined from the Old Testament is giving people what they deserve and putting right all other relationships in life. That's the righteousness component. Giving people what they rightly deserve and living rightly in the world is the concepts of righteousness and justice. So you see in God's covenant, you see in God's covenant given to Moses, there was all of these uh, rules and laws about protecting and, and about not accepting bribes, about doing what is right and true and good, about giving rights to the poor, the widow, the orphan, the vulnerable, the immigrant, to the average person. They had rights. They were treated justly. An example, Deuteronomy 10, 18 through 19. This is from the law, from the covenant. The Lord executes justice for the fatherless, that's the orphan, and the widow. And he loves the sojourner, which is the immigrant. And giving him food and clothing. Therefore, you are to love the sojourner. That's what the command was. Four groups of people are emphasized in the Jewish law because they were the most likely to be oppressed at the time. In the covenant, that they were supposed to, what it meant to love your neighbor. Four different people, the poor, uh, the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the immigrant, or the sojourner, alien, foreigner. That's also the other ways the Bible translates it. But modern day equivalent is immigrant. Over and over again, God's people are told not just to give them rights, but to show them love. But instead, they were exploiting them for financial gain or for, what, for whatever reason. Why were they doing this injustice, we might ask. Look at verse 2. two. They covet fields and they seize them. Covetousness is not a word we use a lot today. But um, what it means is that what we, we want so bad, we want something, we desire it so bad, we long for it, we'll do anything to get it. That's covetousness. Okay? And it's not just the... It's, it's, a, it's a disposition of our hearts. It's what our hearts want. Well, it's what our heart wants. In Colossians 3, the Bible tells us, Paul tells us that covetousness, which is idolatry. Here's a connection. That we can have idols of the heart without physical idols. So are you getting it now? The connection between idolatry and injustice? Look at uh, the chart, look at the next slide here. Well, okay, so here, again, I guess you guys can't see it because of the red. So, God's law is broken, thus they love idols instead of loving their neighbor. They love, their hearts want is self-focus instead of others' focus. And the result is injustice. So, the second key idea we have is that we need to check our hearts Because injustice reveals our hearts. Let me repeat that. Check your heart because injustice reveals your heart. Injustice is not, and um, not living rightly, comes as a result of idols of our hearts. So, going back to the slide, go to the last one. The last slide. Uh, One more. Okay, so we can't read that either, but if we... Put money in there. So instead of loving our neighbor, we break the covenant. We, instead of loving our neighbor, we love money. That's what our heart is about, loving money. Then what happens, what our heart wants is greed. 
And so, our lifestyle will be to steal, to cheat, and to exploit, unless other values that we have keep us from doing that, or society keeps us from doing that. That will be the lifestyle as a result. And greed was a major factor in their idolatry at this day. Micah 2.10 stated that injustice had made their hearts unclean and defiled. Remembering the, remember the opening story that started with a celebrity cheating scandal. All right? In looking at that story, maybe this idea of idols and injustice will help make sense of some of that. Even or as we think about the, Ro, the Robert Kraft situation and, and these people exploiting, you know, uh, are allegedly ex- exploiting uh, women in brothels and human trafficking. What would motivate someone to do that? Um, to do this injustice right, to harm others, is what's critical is to see that it's sin is not simply, it doesn't simply have, what's also critical for us to see here is that sin does not simply have personal um, ramifications. It's not, my sin just doesn't, me lying that may not just hurt this person, but me lying and cheating, it affects, it can affect a whole society. It can have social ramifications. And here, that's exactly what happens. When it spreads, sin can take advantage of the elderly. It can, it, in this case, it, uh, in the case of the celebrity cheating scandal, it took advantage of the disabled, right? Disabled, something that was meant to help people with disabilities get into college. It's easy for us to judge celebrities. Um, you know, we say, let's not judge. I talked about that a few weeks ago. But then, what do we do all week in the media? We judge these celebrities all week long. Or we judge Robert Kraft and all these things, right? It's easy for us to do that. And I think that we have a tendency to do that because we tend to not evaluate our, our own idol of money in our own life, right? Um, the reason is, is that greed corrupts our own hearts for seeing our own, our own idols. We, I, heard a pa- I read a pastor talk about this week. He said, I don't know that I've ever had, and this is a pastor who's, almost, I think he's about to retire. He said, I've never had anybody come up to me and say, you know what, I've got a big problem with greed, pastor. Why is that? We tend to compare ourselves to other people around us that are maybe in the same social economic class that we are. We don't, we don't have the perspective of, the, of, oh, hey, maybe we in the seats, maybe me here could be in the place of these rich rulers, right? We don't think about, oh, in America, just by being American, we probably have a better life than 80% of the world today. We don't think about, uh, you know, that we don't think about comparing ourselves to the poorest people in our communities or in our church as we think about uh, whether we're being greedy or we're having an idol of money. We don't, we don't read this and say, oh, maybe that's me taking advantage of people. And that's because our idols can corrupt our hearts. And we must continually check our hearts. Not, am I doing injustice? But no, am I, am I loving the Lord? This is, this is how God teaches us to think, to battle these things, is that we start at the heart level. Am I loving God and am I loving my neighbor? That's how God teaches us to fight these things. One of my friends who does a network that, uh, runs a network that fights human trafficking, says that if you want to find injustices, just look for the vulnerable in your community. The, the people who are most vulnerable are the people who will be exploited. So as we think about four categories the Bible has given to us um, for the four categories we already mentioned. Let's do that as we think about injustice, okay? 
So the four categories, the poor. So how can we love the poor? How can we love the, uh, the poor in our communities, the needy in our communities? I also think about the disabled, right? Disabled people are sometimes those that are most taken advantage of. Or how can we love those who are, support those that are caring for the disabled, right? Um, maybe also children, you know, the parents, maybe they have parents, children from poor communities have parents that can't or won't help them with, with school or life skills. You can think about how we might be a part of the solution there. Number two category was the orphan. Um, so thinking about the orphan, we have things like foster care, right? Adoption, support pregnancy centers that protect the life of unborn children, which that may be uncomfortable for us to think about, but the unborn children in Scripture had rights. They were people, okay? And so we need to think about how are we caring for these, these groups of people or how can we support those that are caring for these groups of people? Groups like Compassion International provide ways for us to support uh, kids in destitute poverty situations around the world that to keep them from being exploited, to keep them from um, injustices. The third category, the widow or elderly. Do we care for our ailing family members or ailing neighbors? I, I think this is an area that I could really improve on. I think about my neighbors in my community that are, uh, are older. And, and one of the things I saw this is um, when I went on disaster relief trip, so Andy Haynes is on a trip, and we just, Emily just got back from trip, college student trip, which is part of North American Mission Board thing that we're giving towards. Disaster relief, when I went down um, in the wake of the hurricane that hit Houston, all the time there are injustices happening there because what happened, especially the elderly, what would happen is we would help elderly families. Someone, they can't fix their roof. They can't fix their yard, the tree down their yard, so they pay somebody to fix it. Well, what does that person do? They just take the money and leave. <laughs> or they do half of the work and then take the money. And they're taken advantage of. Injustice happens to them. Fourth group is the um, immigrant. Now, um, you know, there's all kinds of things going on about that in our world today, but a central question we have to ask ourselves is what the covenant talks about here, the guiding principle here, is do you love the immigrant? Do you love the undocumented immigrant? We have to make sure that we are not doing something that would take advantage or that we would do, act in such a way that would love these people because they're the most in our communities, they're the most likely to be taken advantage of. Uh, even, I saw this in my own life. Uh, I'm, I didn't want to say this, but I'm like, God has convicted me, so maybe I'll share this. Um, one of my friends, about five years ago, I bought a house, and um, he's undocumented and at that time, and, um, and it was to no fault of his own. It, it wasn't anything he had any control over. And uh, I asked him to help, or he, he volunteered to help me with something, or asked him to help me with something that I couldn't fix. I knew he could fix we were working on it, and what, what was supposed to be, you know, an hour or two ended up being like 10 or 12 hours, two days. And I, the thought, I had just bought my first house. We were struggling financially to just pay for everything. There was unexpected expenses happening. And I thought, oh, I could just pay this guy 20 bucks or whatever. And then I was really convicted as I thought about that. I was like, look, this guy just put in uh, hours and hours and hours. And he can't get a job because of, his, of these situations. And so I, I need to pay him, like, what he deserves to be paid here, right? And, and I just say that to say, look, we, we could be a part of this if, we, if our idol, if what we're worried about is our money in these situations. 
If my heart is focused on my stuff and, and my dreams, we will at times neglect these people around us. And we, we are at prone to do that. So we need to combat that with fighting these, um, fighting the tendency of our hearts, idols of our hearts. Now here's the last thing. The good news is, is that idols and injustice is not all, idols and injustice is not all that the book of Micah is about. Micah is a book of judgment and of hope. Not a lot of hope, but it's got some hope there and it's awesome, okay? So we're going to read just one part of that. Interweave, interweave throughout the book of Micah, God speaks of gathering a remnant. That's a few people who will love him and follow him. He will be the shepherd to his flock and he will, this, this, um, the Lord will be a shepherd to his flock, the remnant that will follow him and he will lead them as a just and righteous ruler. So here's the last truth. Rather than check your heart, take heart. Take heart. Because the Lord is faithful and he is forgiving. Listen to chapter 7, verses 18 through 20. Who is like you, God? Who is like, who is a God like you? Remember Micah's name? Who is like you, God? Pardoning iniquity, passing over transgression. It's forgiving sin for the remnant of his inheritance, for his chosen people. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love, faithful love, covenant love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. So instead of stomping on us, he's going to stomp on our sin. And he will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You, you, Lord, will show faithfulness to Jacob, your steadfast love to the covenant, to the promise to Abraham, as you swore to our fathers in the days of old. These verses contain, I think, one of the most beautiful passages in the Old Testament. The same awesome God who has no equal, who is like our God, who has terror at the beginning, at the beginning of the book, comes with showing incredible compassion and love. He takes our iniquities, our sin, our idols, our injustices, and he throws them into a sea of forgetfulness. Have you ever looked at the sea? Just like looked at the ocean and as far as you can see is ocean. Been up on a cliff and just you know, looked out and it's just waves of ocean and blue. And then maybe dropped a big boulder, or a big rock, maybe not a boulder, maybe dropped a rock off the cliff into the ocean and just watched it bloop down deep until you couldn't see it anymore. That is what, that's the image of what God does through his forgiveness and grace of our idols, of our sin and our iniquities. Take heart. This is good. We're left with the in the book of Micah, wondering how are these two realities compatible? <laughs> how is God able to be both? How is he just and angry at sin and loving and compassionate towards these same people? How can he throw these things into the depths of the sea? Micah doesn't answer that question. He only gives us an allusion to a hope. In chapter 5, out of Bethlehem, oh, out of Bethlehem will come a righteous ruler. Matthew tells us that righteous ruler who will shepherd his flock and lead his people, and provide a way to bring God's justice and love together is Jesus Christ. On the cross, we see God's justice and anger against sin being punished. And we see the beauty, beautiful love and forgiveness of God where he throws our sin into an ocean of forgetfulness. Will you trust God with your heart? 
we need to check our hearts and rid ourselves of idols and justice we can, because we can take heart because through Christ, the Lord will show us compassion and forgiveness. We don't have to be searching for idols to give us the success and money or the security that we long for. We can find it in God or our idols can destroy us. Is what you love most bringing you, bringing you and others freedom or destruction? Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, I come before you, God, just challenged by this word and um, humbled, convicted. And Lord, we just pray that you would... Um, Create in us, change our hearts, that we would have hearts that desire you. Hearts that long to love you, to love others. To have that outward focus in what we want, instead of a self-focus with what we want. Change us when we don't have that desire. I pray for those here that maybe don't know that freedom. That they might find it today in you, God, that you might draw them in to be their shepherd. And for us that are tempted, maybe we're, ens- we're ensnared to idols in our life right now, that you would bring us freedom. Pray these things in your name. Amen.